Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you open the ball on these people, Mr. Nash, you must be prepared to go all the way. Because they won't give up the fight until one of you is dead. I want to get Capone. I don't know how to get him. You want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago. And that's how you get Capone. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of AI Movie Night. I'm your host, Joe Simpson, and tonight I'm joined by two fantastic guests to discuss The Untouchables. Firstly, I'm lucky enough to be joined again by Martin Fitzgerald, who's been on the podcast before. And he's one half of the excellent Ruth and Martin's Album Club and Ruth and Martin's JFK Club. How are you, Martin? I'm great, thank you. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good, thanks. As I mentioned before, uh, Martin has been on the pod before and uh, discussing JFK. We don't normally have people coming on the pod making demands, but Martin's the first one to do that. He, he basically said, I'll come on again, but only if it's a Kevin Costner film. So I like hearing this thoughts. So we had to go with the untouchables. So thanks very much for coming on, Martin. That's okay. That makes me sound like a Kevin Costner fanboy, which is um, <laughs> something I don't think I've ever been accused of. You are, I've made you a lot for my own back there. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also lucky enough to be joined by Chris Hewitt, writer for... The Excellent Empire magazine, for my money, the best film magazine in the world, oh. and also host of the Empire Film Podcast, the game, for my money, the best film podcast in the world. So oh, man. thanks so oh. much for coming on, Chris. What are you going to say when you get Cranwood on, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, just say the, I'll just say the same, as long as you're not listening, no one will know. <laughs> it's like, yeah, every week there's a new person who's just planning <laughs> for the best thing in the world. Thanks a lot. No, it's uh, uh, to be here. Oh, thanks so much. And, and it's genuine, honestly. I, I love your work. And obviously the same. I've said it before to Martin, you know, his album club and JFK club are just two of the greatest things on the internet. So I'm so excited to hear both your thoughts on this one. Right. I'm just going to get straight no into pressure, it. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, yeah. I'll give you the big build up now. So, no, nah, thanks. I'm just going to get straight into it because obviously there's so much to cover in this film. Um, it's it's obviously nearly 30 years, or in fact, it's coming up to 30 years now that the film's been out, and it's still extremely popular, and obviously we're here to discuss it. Why why do you think it's so enduringly popular, Martin? 
you know what? I'm not actually sure that it is. Um, I'm, I'm not sure it has, you know, that reputation. Yeah. I'd, I'd always, like, I, I think if you look at, I, I, I think there's something about the film. Maybe it's Costner, maybe it's Brian De Palma. I don't know what it is. But I've, I've always felt there's something about it where it's not taken that seriously. And I, th- I think, but I think the reason why it's still popular for me is because it's it's a film of of lots and lots and lots of different set pieces all all put together to make a film and there's so many kind of memorable scenes you know within it it's a really really tight story um it's got a, it's, it's you know, obviously got a great cast of characters but it has a it, it has a feel to it and it's a it's a kind of nostalgic piece um i don't i i i don't think it's like your typical gangster film because it's told from the point of view of the person who's trying to stop the gangsters which are usually the subject of these films um and there's something it's i think it's one of those films that you know when it's on it's if you catch it halfway through you do tend to sort of stay to the end because it's it's such an easy watch I always think, yeah, no, which I think is it, partly maybe why it doesn't have, you know, what I think it doesn't have that that kind of critical acclaim that something like maybe a Goodfellas does. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a film where good wins as well, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's never always entirely sort of popular. Yeah, no, that, uh, that that's a great point that I see. So I suppose that links into something I was going to say about why I love it so much. I mm. think you've hit on that as being part of the reason why it is more divisive than I actually thought. I always regarded it, and you've just described it similarly, as like having this sort of hard balance between like a gangster film, but also still have, you know, with the threat and menace of Al Capone, but it's also got a lot of fun and excitement to it and i think you're right to some people that turns them off whereas to me i think it sort of hits a balance that i'm really comfortable with as different to some of those other gangster films you you mentioned but you're right i think it does turn some people off what about yourself chris what are your thoughts I, I, to be honest, I think it has endured. I think it is extremely popular, and I think it is now regarded as something of a of a classic, um, which is interesting because at the time it was a big success at the box office uh, for the day, it made over a hundred million, which is, you know, nothing these days. But <laughs> back in the day, back in nineteen eighty seven, was a, was a lot of cash. Uh, it's obviously held as the movie that got Sean Connery as Oscar. And it's got all these wonderful phrases and wonderful bits of dialogue that have made it into, into pop culture. You know, he pulls a knife, you pull a gun, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think it really has endured. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's, it's held up for me. I think it's one of Brandon Palmer's best films. And I think one of the reasons why it might be one of his best films is because, uh, it is slightly divorced of the personal touch. It is not a movie that, particularly meant anything to him as a filmmaker. It's, it's certainly not something he wrote. So I think he came to it as someone who was looking to aim, direct a hit, because he'd had a couple of, uh, of failures at the box office. And uh, and B, he was looking to show off a little bit. And Martin touched on it there, and it, you know, there are some amazing set pieces all the way through the movie. And I think it's to Palmer going, all right, this is what I can do. And this is what I can do with resources, and this is what I can do with a great cast. 
unzip my fly and there you go uh and it's uh it, it really has held up for me I, I watched it again i am fresh from re-watching it i want i finished it about 15 minutes ago uh <laughs> segued straight into an episode of friends which was weird uh and it, it's flawed and we'll get on to the flaws but for me it is it's a great buddy movie it's a great police procedural and it is a great gangster flick despite the fact as martin says it's not told from the, from the point of view of the gangsters Mm-hmm. I think I uh, couldn't agree more more with with, with the points you made there. Um, I, I, I'm glad you mentioned as well about you know the 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 body elements of it because I think for me and I imagine this might be the same for Martin with the way he said about how he enjoys watching it. The the chemistry between the cast, it feels like a real bond of friendship between them, and I really enjoy spending time with them. Uh, and rooting for them essentially, and I think that that that's part of the magic for me that makes it so so watchable and so rewatchable, really. Yeah, they, I mean, you know, there is, which I guess is, you know, encapsulated in the uh, photograph that that oh, they yeah. take, you know, within the cafe. There is this sort of sense that there is this group of, you know, four men who are taking on not only, you know, Al Capone, but they're also taking on their own colleagues. They're taking mm. on, uh, you know, a whole bunch of, uh, you know, corruption, um, you know, within the city. And they do form this, this sort of band that as the film goes on, it sort of dwindles in size, but at the head of it is this one, one man who, you know, has this sort of sense of, 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 you know, he has to do the right thing. And, you know, without, <laughs> without sounding controversial, mm-hmm. the actual, and we're going to get on to Connery, I'm sure soon. <laughs> That's my least favorite part of the film. The, 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 the sort of friendship between them and the sense of like, you know, I don't feel part of that. I think some people, you know, maybe sort of watch this film and they feel part of of that group and and they are rooting for that, you know, for that group. And I've never really had that experience with the film. I think Costner's very, very strong in it. Um, but it, but it's a but in the same way, I I look at I I, I think the Capone character is obviously a, a really cool. I think Frank Nitti, the guy in the sort of white suit, is a is a character that you that you that you also really like, and he's very ominous, and he and he appears, hmm. you know, kind of throughout the film, just usually <laughs> just before someone dies. So I don't, I don't, I, I kind of it's interesting what you know Chris said there that it was a big box office smash, and that's kind of how I see it. I see it's one of those easy films, mm-hmm. like a kind of Back to the Future sort of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but I do think there's more to it than that. And I, and, and, and I think, I guess the point I was trying to make was that I guess it always happens with De Palma. And because, because, you know, Costner's just not, a, not a particularly cool guy. Mm-hmm. I, I, I sometimes think it lacks a, a sort of serious critical appraisal because, you know, Chris is right. Brian De Palma was showing off. He's always seen as a, as a, as a kind of cheap Hitchcock and, and, and it's a, it's a really, really easy film to watch, and sometimes people, you know, have I think have an issue with that. That there's mm. a lack of depth, um, mm. a lack of complexity to it. But you know, I don't have an issue with that. 
<laughs> no, a lot, lot, lot of great points made by you both there. Um, I look forward to hearing more as we, we touch on the things, uh, the specific characters and the uh, scenes of the film. So I look mm. forward to that. Um, we're now going to look at some of those characters and performances. And the first one is the character of Elliot Ness and Kevin Costner's performance. What were your thoughts on that, Chris? Uh, I like I, I like him a lot, and I like what he does with Elliot Ness a lot because in the in the wrong hands, this guy could be a real stick up his arse, you know, bureaucrat. Uh, and it's a, it's a very conventional arc that the character goes through, where he is this very very dyed in the wool, black or white good guy. You know, he is a he is a white hat. Uh, he doesn't. He wants to to enforce the law in the right way. He doesn't want to step into any gray areas or step over the line. And then by the end of the movie, obviously, he's throwing people off roofs, <laughs> you know, taunting Al Capone to his face, while at the same time still making sure that justice is is served. And and Costner is really interesting because Costner is someone who arrived on the scene pretty much fully formed. He had as as a leading man, and he he had some. Some supporting performances previously in the likes of Silverado, where you you saw this guy and you thought, oh, this is this is someone to keep an eye on. This is someone who who's interesting. But by and large, he arrived in 1987, pretty much fully formed as a leading man with this and No Way Out, which is uh, a fantastic, fantastic film as well. And he was someone who who just was there as a, a fleshed out persona on screen. And he, you know, he, we didn't have to watch him grow up on the big screen. So when he arrived as this unknown, angering the cast of this incredible film, and he he brought with him an earnestness that I think really, really works in the role. Very, very straight down the middle, Gary Cooper quality, which I think a lot of people have said about him in the past. He's got that very Gary Cooper uh, sense to him. He's someone that you believed. Because the problem with Elliot Ness is that he is so goddamn earnest in the film that if it was someone else who had a sense of irony, that you wouldn't be able to believe the character. You wouldn't be able to buy into the character as much. But Costner sells it. He sells how honest and real and uh, and devoted to the cause this guy is. I think he's great um, because otherwise the, the, the character could be really, really dull or really, really ironic, and you don't want either of those two things. Yeah, no, t- totally agree. Uh, I think uh, uh, the other thing I, I love about the performance by him is he, he's able to portray this character, obviously the the, the hero of the story, and show uh, at various times throughout the film show show weakness, and mm-hmm. even showing him asking directly asking someone else for help, who who you know he's only just met, but at no stage do you feel that the character's weak. You know he does it yeah. in a way that you see it as a sign of his his intelligence and his strength that he knows he is out of his depth in this city where he doesn't, you know, know the police force and he doesn't fully understand everything that's going on because he hasn't had that experience. And I, 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 th- I think he betrays that really well. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more with your points there. What about yourself, Martin? What are your thoughts on, on obviously, as the, <laughs> the, the Kevin Costner expert and fanboy? <laughs> I, um, I think at this time, you know, he didn't really do a lot wrong, Kevin Costner. This was before he his career changed um, in in into the big epic films, um, into into also where he got into you know directing and causes and 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 also you just have to accept that he just changed 
as he got older. At this point, he looks he looks like a man that's never shaved in this film um, <laughs> and has never never needed to shave. And he plays the role, whereas so many of these films, and it's typically a male thing, I think, they're the sort of actors that, um, you know, we all admire your sort of, you know, Nicholson's and De Niro and Pacino and, and you know, Eastwood or whatever. They're always playing anti-heroes. And this guy came along and it, particularly in this film, he sort of played a straight down the line hero. Mm. Um, but not in a, a, not in a particularly mawkish way. Um, mm. In in a in a in a in a very believable way, and I, and I think I mean I think he's a, I think he's a really really good actor, uh, Costner. But I think part of it is, it's just the way he looks. He 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 he, he sort of looks like a perfectly normal, um, you know, guy in this film that doesn't really have any sort of you know vices. He's got the soft focus family at home that 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 he that, that he sort of dotes on. And it's very hard to find an actor, I think, <clears throat> that can play that role where it then doesn't slip into something that makes you feel a little bit uneasy. Mm-hmm. And I think he does that really, really well in this film. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, I think it's a real through line in his performance from this to JFK, to Jim Garrison in that movie. And there's something really believable about him. Uh, in both of his movies, and he sells he sells this crusade for justice in both films uh, without <clears> it becoming, <throat> as you say, mawkish or without it becoming an obsession that that that, that bores the audience. Uh, I think he's great. Uh, I really, really do. Yeah, no, couldn't agree more. And it's it, it, uh, I totally agree with that that comparison as well. I think we we said on on the JFK pod we we were talking about he, he's very good at portraying strength and dignity in maybe a quieter way than you know some other leading men would and also he's very happy to or he at mm. least appeared very happy to let some of his co-stars have more of the you know yeah. the, the showier parts and I think you know that that gives the film a real sort of anchor at its heart that allows them to maybe have a bit more fun I'm not sure but at least it helps them all to sort of flourish um, well, I, I think I think it's an interesting point about you know the idea that he this was essentially his first big leading role mm-hmm. and uh, he just came out of nowhere in essence I mean he was a guy who I've interviewed him in the past and he was a guy who literally came to Hollywood didn't you know that, that, <laughs> that cliched American dream pursuing the American dream had no money had to sleep in his car and plugged away and plugged away and plugged away for ages and what that means is, of course, that you know when he finally got this role, he had no relationship with the audience. The audience had no relationship with him, which means you can absolutely buy into him. He doesn't bring any baggage from previous roles. I was watching the um, one of the making of documentaries that's on the uh, the Blu-ray, and Brian De Palma talked about Mel Gibson had been in talks for this role uh, before he went off to do something else for Warner Brothers, which I'm guessing, just looking at the time frame, must have been Lethal Weapon. And I just can't imagine Mel Gibson playing this role. I mean, no, obviously knowing now what we know about Mel Gibson, <laughs> it's really hard to imagine him <laughs> playing this role. But there's something about Mel Gibson has a danger and a, and a mania in his eyes that I just don't think would have been believable. Whereas Costner, you go into a room with Costner and he is someone who absolutely just 
looks you in the eye and <laughs> tells you the truth. I mean that that that's an old cliche, but you know you can feel it with him, and uh, it's why it's why I think he works, and it's why I think he allows Connery and Garcia and Charles Martin Smith to take the limelight at, at various points during the film because he was a greenhorn himself and he, he probably wasn't able to throw his weight around and he probably wasn't able to go, hang on, yeah. Andy Garcia's got a cool moment here and that should be my cool moment. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think that's, 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 probably, uh, that's probably an interesting way of how it ended up. Yeah, it's interesting that, isn't it? Uh, uh, as you say, it's interesting just to think about, you know, how it might have been different if he'd have been at the superstar stage of his career as compared to then. And I think you're right. I think it may well have been different and, and, and definitely not as good if, it, if any of those changes had been made. We're now going to talk about, obviously, someone who, who was a superstar, already firmly established and, you know, a, a veteran, uh, Sean Connery and his performance of the character of Jim Malone. What, what were your thoughts on that, Martin? <laughs> Um, I mean, I have to say it's my least favourite aspect of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't understand why he won an Oscar. Um, <laughs> unlike, unlike Costner. Is this just because Costner didn't get one? No, 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 no. I, I genuinely, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't think Sean Connery's a great actor. I don't really think an argument, well, I mean, you could make that argument, but it's not an argument that I would, that I, that I would ever make. No. Um, I think he he seems out of his depth, believe it or not, in this film. His accent is kind of grating. He has some really really great lines. Obviously, there's the whole scene in the church about you know you you know you you know you bring a knife and all that sort of stuff. But there's something you know. Not only do do I find Sean Connery just a little bit irritating within the film, I find the character of Malone a little bit irritating. And I can see why he never has progressed within the police force. Because he just, to me, he just seems like, a, 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 you know, when he's wandering that bridge, he seems a sort of know-it-all, you know. He's a, to me, he's just a bit of an idiot, full of sort of catchphrases and, you know, sayings. And I could definitely imagine that role being played by, by you know, someone... Um, I don't, I don't think he has any kind of gravitas in it, you know, you know, at all. I don't care when he dies. It's, 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 he's the worst part of the film for me. <laughs> no, no wonder you don't have the same emotions as me when you see that photo of them all together. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, yeah. I, I, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, I totally agree with what you say about him. He's clearly not, not a great actor. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Uh, Come on, I, I can't let this. I can't let this well, go. Well, well, in in this film, I'm sure. To be fair, I'm sure you're gonna do, you put me straight on this. You can make the defense. I would like to hear uh, yeah, the defense. Yeah, of Sean Connery as an actor. Yeah, I, I um, just think I think he's quite good in the man who would be king. Mm-hmm. But then again, so is Michael Caine. But other than I, I just don't, I just don't, I don't get Sean Connery. But, but you know, I don't. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't really get him in this film either. See, I, I sort of think he's, he's a great movie star, and I, I really enjoy his performance in this. And I probably, I probably had a totally different perspective to yourself because of that. And even like the accents, and obviously he, he's done, <laughs> done, done strange accents in a few films, but 
I think the type of person I am, I sort of just forget about it. And I just enjoy what I see as like his charisma and his movie star quality. But I imagine if I didn't have that, I'd probably have a different perspective. But I I, I really enjoyed his performance. But I, I want to see Chris's case for the defence here anyway. Oh, case for the defence, you're idiot. Martin, man, I mean, you're you're assaulting a national treasure. <laughs> a knight of the realm, for the love of God. Um, no, I, 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 I get, I get that. I do get that. Uh, Sean Connery is not everyone's cup of tea as an actor. Uh, I think he has, he has great performances in him. I think this is a, a very, very good performance. His films with Sidney Lumet, the, the, the Hill and the Offense, are fantastic, and his his performances in those are great. Um, uh, you know, it's it's hard to get past the idea of him as a presence, as a as a as a movie star, as James Bond. It's hard to get past that. But I think if you look beyond that, there is a good performance in this movie. Is it an Oscar-winning performance? I don't necessarily know. I do feel it was one of those lifetime achievement Oscars <laughs> that they, that the Academy doles out every now and again. But for me, he brings a real life and a real spark and a real energy to this movie and a sort of uh, very. Uh, he has the sort of the sense of dry irony that that Costner lacks, that I think really energizes the film and really gives the film something else. The interesting thing, of course, is that it's the same role as Highlander the previous year. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's exactly the same character. Uh, he's the 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 aging mentor who was brought in to dispense wisdom to the hero who's a bit wet behind the ears. And the minute that, that wisdom is suitably dispensed, off he pops. It's uh, it's it's not by no by no means is it a groundbreaking character, uh, but he has some incredible lines of dialogue. He delivers them well, uh, and he looks good in that that sort of cardigan uh, as well. That's that uh, Giorgio Armani cardigan. <laughs> and I don't care about the accent because yeah, it's Sean Connery. And yeah. I think it's one of those things where I <laughs> often I've watched the. Un- the Untouchables, and I've, mag- and I've imagined Sean Connery playing Alec Guinness's character in Star Wars, <laughs> well, and yeah. how he would completely ruin that film <laughs> by, you know, kind of coming out of the sand huts with a load of, um, you know, cliches, um, hitting the sand people over the head and saying, <laughs> that's, that's how we do it on Tatooine. Um, so <laughs> that's the Tatooine way. Yeah. Yeah. You bring a bantha, I'll bring a lion. Um, so James, I, ca- you know, you I kind of like someone. my my um you know, older mentors to be I guess a little bit more world weary, a little bit more maybe a little bit more depressed and cynical and whereas he said, I mean it, it, it's a, it's an int- it's an interesting one because he he is he is the sort of He's the kind of catalyst for the plot. Yeah. He he gets everything going within the film, and he has. He, Chris is right. He does have a lot of energy, and he's the one that says to Ness, "Okay, we well, want to start. This is where we start. Everyone knows where the booze is. You just need to." Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but I kind of like it, it's there's something there's something very Sean Connery about it that um, <laughs> I just never I've never I've just never watched it and really enjoyed his performance. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's maybe because I, I grew up and he was he was James Bond for me, and I just don't question him in any movie. 
ever. Yeah. If Sean Connery appears, if Sean Connery appeared to me right now and told me to go kill someone, I probably would do it. I would probably do it because <laughs> he, he'd probably tell you to kill Martin after that. Gerald bashed on the and I, I go, yes, of course, sure, sure, Sean, I will, I will do this for you. I don't question anything he does. But there's something absolutely ridiculous about this character that uh, I actually kind of love. The fact that, as you said, you know, he is a beat cop, but for some reason he is the most plugged in, connected <laughs> you've ever seen. And there's obviously there's there's hints that he hasn't played ball in the past and he's been demoted and that's fine. But he knows everything about Capone's operation. He knows where the liquor is being held. There's a point. He turns up at one point <laughs> and goes, "Ah, oh, I know where the next the next shipment is." And Ness even says to him, "How do you know this?" "Oh, I'm not going to tell you." <laughs> All right, I okay. Think, I think it's one of those things that, like, in the same way that James Bond isn't a very good spy, <laughs> um, this character isn't a very good policeman. And when he, so he, he you know, he is connected and stuff like that, but. Yeah. When he walks away from Elliot Ness on the bridge and he, yeah. and then, you know, Elliot Ness says to him, you've just walked away from a man who, you know, could have a weapon or something. And he says, well, you know, who would say that if he was not? And you just, at that point, I think I'll have a weapon, mate, and just shut him up <laughs> because this, <laughs> like he's not, and, and the, I mean, jumping scenes, but the bit where he gets killed is, <laughs> He's, re- he's really, really stupid in that scene. <laughs> so he wanders around his house thinking that, that this guy's going to have a you know, knife. Um, yeah. Whereas if he had a gun, he would have just killed him at any point up to that. And he's he, I, 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 I kind of see his role in the film as, you know, Elliot Ness hasn't got anyone else. So, so you know, the, so, so he has to take in these kind of waifs and strays. So you've got the old mentor, you've got the kind of raw recruit and all that sort of stuff. But we, we'll get on to Andy Garcia, but I, I love Andy Garcia in this film. I love him more than the best thing. He's the best thing about the film. We'll go into that. But I, <laughs> I just see it like that, 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 that he has to just accept mm-hmm. these, um, he has to accept Sean Connery being Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. You're right about the idea that, he is all that Elliot Ness has in this movie because Ness does have a wife and two kids in this film and we have repeated scenes with Patricia Clarkson as his wife but if you ask me to tell you her character name I couldn't because the Mm. film is so utterly uninterested in her and in his daughter and the the, the new boy that he has that those scenes are so perfunctory and so get it out of the way that that the film focuses ultimately on the relationship between, uh, between Malone and Ness and that's all they have. It's, it's that buddy, buddy, uh, <laughs> buddy chemistry formula at the heart of, of most of these movies. It's an interesting role, uh, I have to say. I'd, I'd be quite interested to see by, uh, what Malone's backstory is. Um, there may even be a spin-off. Probably a good thing that The Untouchables wasn't made nowadays because there'd be an Untouchable Cinematic Extended Universe. There'd be a Jimmy, a Jimmy Malone <laughs> spin-off story. There'd be a, a, a young Al Capone story. We'd have... We'd, We'd have the uh, film purely about how Frank Nitti gets an incredible white suit. Where does he go? <laughs> Tailored. You know, so it's, it's probably a good thing. But we would have a Jimmy Malone story. And uh, Martin would love that because it would be even more mm. strong. <laughs> well, he, he, he wouldn't be allowed, I imagine, to play him because they'd have to get someone, someone <laughs> well, young and stupid in to well, show you how he became old and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I've got to add another layer to that defence, uh, but it was great in that from you both. I think for me, like we said, about the, the star quality is definitely part of why I more readily accept uh, Sean Connery in that role, but I think Chris touched on this. I think because Costner's role isn't really showy, I think if the mentor had been downbeat, it would have been a much more duller film, whereas mm. the contrast between the two, I think, worked really well, and that was something I really enjoyed. And as you say, he provided the sort of vitality and, the, you know, propelling the film forward. And also, mm. I, there's some bits where I do think he, he, he showed the intelligence, the character, you know, like the... Um, uh, where he improvised outside in, in Canada, he knew that guy weren't going to speak. So he used the guy and, and obviously pretended he was he was shooting a real person. And there are another cu- yeah. couple of moments like that. But I know what you mean. He, 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 he's a bit like you say, like Bond. He's very larger <laughs> than life. So it's sort of, there is that aspect that doesn't necessarily, yeah. you know, it doesn't fit as someone. He's not, he's not trying to keep on the down low, is he? He's a character who obviously exists to give the, the hero the motivation and the knowledge that he needs to to uh, to carry out the murky stuff that he won't do at the beginning of the film. Yeah. And the interesting thing about Malone is that he is he's you know if you took it on if you took him on face value he's not a terribly likable guy. He's he's very racist, which we yeah. have to contend in the strongest possible terms. Uh, he is someone that if he existed nowadays he would be an egg on Twitter accusing <laughs> snowflakes of wanting to retreat to their safe spaces. He is that sort of person. And, uh, you know, probably from that point of view, it's a good thing that he gets riddled with bullets towards the end of the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's one of them, isn't it? It's like, it, it, he does have that, like, he it, it just kept the sort of, where he, where he obviously racially abuses Andy Garcia's character of Stone. If it was just then, which I think is another example of his intelligence, where he's like, obviously he knows he's a prodigy, but he wants to test his character. Mm. If he'd have just kept it at that, but as you say, throughout <laughs> the film, you see various instances where he is genuinely just racist. So, yeah, yeah. no, yeah, not, not the nicest side of him. Obviously, uh, Martin mentioned the... Uh, Andy Garcia's performance. So, is that what? What were your thoughts on Andy Garcia and the character of Stone Martin? Uh, I, I think he's. I think he. I mean, this is the best thing that Andy Garcia, in my opinion, has has ever done. It, he's just. I think he's a really, really cool character in this film, and he, you know, you know, without saying a lot, he's like. Um, he's always like kind of James Coburn in the, in the, in the kind of Magnificent Seven. He's the quiet one, but he's really, really skillful. And, mm-hmm. and I'm sure we'll talk about the scene at the station, you know, at the, the at, at the end, but he could do a thousand films, Andy Garcia, and he'll never top what he does in that <laughs> scene, which is simultaneously the greatest tackle and the greatest <laughs> piece of fielding. <laughs> in the history of movie and sport. Yeah. Um, when he, you know, when he stops that tram and throws the gun at the same time, yeah. it's, uh, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a sort of cool character, you know, within the film, he doesn't get in the way of the film, but there are moments within the film where it sort of needs him to do his thing. And, you know, I like characters like that. 
Yeah. He, he sort of seems emotionally detached from the whole thing, which I quite like. Like, he, I, don't, I don't really get the impression that he really cares about <laughs> Al Capone or, you know, Prohibition or anything like that at all. He seems sort of slightly vacuous. Um, <laughs> but in a, in a sort of, in a sort of, in a sort of good way, because he, you know, because he's walking around and, and, you know, he knows if you need a guy to do this weird thing at the end, <laughs> where, you know, I'm going to do this shot and I'm going to do this tackle, you know, just give me a shout when that happens. Meanwhile, I'll just stand here looking kind of sullen and, 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 you know, a little bit moody. I think I, I, I really like him in this film. Yeah, no, I do. I think, uh, I think from, from the outset, he shows, you know, the strength to obviously stand up to Connery's character, which takes some doing and his presence as an actor. And, and also he's very believable, you know, as this prodigy at no stage do you doubt that he's got this, this, uh, shooting prowess that they've obviously credited him with. What about yourself, Chris? Is there uh, anything you'd like to add to that or any of the other performances in particular stand out for you? Yeah, I, I like him a lot. He's the, he's a sexy untouchable, you know, <laughs> if you, if you wanted to give him all labels like the Spice Girls, he, he would definitely be, you know, sexy untouchy. Um, yeah, he's very, very good. He, he, like Martin says, he doesn't get a lot to do in this film. I think, uh, the best Andy Garcia has ever been is at the end of Passengers, which came out a couple of months ago, where he shows up at the end for a wordless cameo for 45 seconds or so. That's the best he's ever been with this massive beard. Um, but no, he's, he's really good in this. And you can see, you can see why this catapulted him at least briefly, uh, onto the A list. Uh, and there's something about his hair which just fascinates me. His hair deserves his own blog. Oh, yeah. I, I think there's, I think there's something. <laughs> this, this sounds ridiculous. I'm only going to say it on the basis that I think a lot of Liverpool fans listen to this. <laughs> there is something Louis Garcia about Andy Garcia in the way that ultimately he's a little bit rubbish, but he does on occasion these fantastic things which just made you smile. Yeah. And you forgive him. Um, for, you know, the fact that he, you know, he's clearly not the best cop. Um, yeah. he's clearly not the, he, he isn't the, 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 he, he, he isn't the one with the most integrity in all of the kind of top trumps of what a, what a character is in this film. He, he, he's, you know, like, you know, like Louis Garcia would, he would, he would score low on a lot of them, but he has moments and it's those moments that, um, I've often found me sitting at Anfield thinking, could, you know, could I just change that song to Anfield Garcia? But, you know, I'm not an idiot. Why would I do that? So I don't do that. I should give it a go. You never know. You never know. Yeah, you're right. The, the bit at the end where he, uh, he says, you know, yeah, I got him. It's really cool. That's, that's not oh, the good goal against Chelsea. That's, that's the, uh, that's the goal against Juventus. Oh, it's yeah. so, it's, it's so assured and wonderful and out the top drawer. It's a very, very cool moment. I mean, his whole bit in that scene. So when, um, and a lot of this is just the way that De Palma does it. So when he hears from the, from the sort of back of the station that something's going on because, you know, Costner, you know, you know, obviously shoots the bloke with a bandage on his nose. Mm. And then you see, you see a guy get shot near, near, near a pillar. He falls down in the distance. You see it's Garcia and he's come in somehow to, 
to the way that that shot is done, where again it's showing his skill that he 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 took that shot from distance and he he, he you know got it right, and then you know that he's somehow coming, and mm. and that he's going to do so <laughs> do something, um you know fairly you know remarkable and what I just think that that bit on on the bottom of the steps is just. It's a tough shot. I mean, it's, I wouldn't want to try it, but he is, he is somehow, he sprawled with his foot holding the pram and he is at full stretch and he has the gun in his, I want to say right hand. And he's got the guy right banging his sights and, you know, spoiler alert, he gets him. That's a tough shot. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's, a, it's the bit. It's the bit before that. It's the bit where it's he a, runs, yeah, slide tackles the the pram, <laughs> and throws the gun at the same time to Costner, which is yeah. a really nice. Um, I don't know how many takes they. Did, I was just thinking that <laughs> you know to do that, <laughs> but it's it, it's it's it, it's just he's he's the only person. I mean, can you imagine Sean Connery having to do that? He oh, probably. Yeah. Can kick the baby in the head, <laughs> um, and <laughs> so he, yeah. When you need him to do the really, really cool thing, he's, he he comes along and he's really, really cool. Yeah, you can see why they killed the accountant <laughs> because he would just drop the gun, and Connery mm. would probably either yeah, you're right, kick the baby in the head, or he would have just carked it. Yeah, uh, he would have had a heart attack on the on running down the corridor in the first place. So they needed to keep Stone around. That's the, uh, but uh, I wonder if they teach that maneuver now at, at academies, <laughs> just in case you're in a shootout and on a staircase. This is what you should do. It's kind of weird <laughs> because it, at that point he's like the best footballer and the best cricketer ever. <laughs> I don't know. He so should Dennis, have retired there and then, shouldn't he? You can't top that. Should have just stopped. <laughs> I mean, I've not seen this passengers film that Chris is on about. But no, if I was him, I'd have, I'd have done that. And just, I wouldn't have even I wouldn't have even gone to the trial. With Al Capone, I'd have got that's me done. <laughs> Does he throw any guns do in passengers? Yeah, uh, no, he doesn't. Uh, oh. he, he had he had lots of stuff cut out from passengers. Oh, um, oh I see. Which is a bit of a shame. So at the end, they ended up with him just showing up for forty-five seconds at the end, just long enough for you to go, "Is that Andy Garcia with a big beard?" And it is. And then the movie's over. <laughs> You're going, what the hell? <laughs> it fits in with the Luis Garcia again, though, doesn't it? You know, stealing the show with these big moments or pivotal moments. So no, yeah. I look forward to seeing that. Yeah. You uh, thought I was stupid when I, when, you know, when I first mentioned that, but now, no, you, no, I thought as you've thought thinking. about that, you've thought yeah. he's onto something. <laughs> <laughs> these Garcia guys. Yes. <laughs> yes. Love it. Love it. Obviously we've talked a lot about Ness and his team. We're now going to look at the character of Al Capone and, of course, the performance by Robert De Niro. The interesting stuff about that, the, the, the first 20 minutes of the film, for me, is the Capone stuff. That's the, that's where the film... It's interesting that the film starts with Capone. It doesn't start with Elliot Ness. It starts mm-hmm. with, with De Niro. And that's what it really gets me. And we haven't talked about Capone yet. And, the, and De Niro is so good in this movie. Yeah. It, give, could you give me some of your thoughts on some of those early Capone scenes? I think you're right. They're, they're, they're more interesting. Yeah. I just, I just think, um, yeah, from a, from a, a composition point of view, the opening shot's fantastic. Again, I got this from the, um, from the, the documentary that the, the, there's a De Palma interview in the documentary where he talks about how the opening shot, he wanted it to be in one, take and he couldn't do it so he has to use cutaways but just the, the very ambition of how, holding that, that opening shot I was watching it again today 
I'm just thinking, wow, he's holding the shot for a long, long time. The the, the above the the aerial shot, which is high above Capone as he's being shaved and he's surrounded by this phalanx of of sycophants and reporters. And uh for an opening shot of what is quote unquote an action movie, that's a really, really bold thing to do. Um and De Niro, you know, we know he we know he De Niroed it back in the eighties when he actually still cared. And he put on some weight. He only had a couple of weeks to do the movie. He put on some weight. Uh, I think it was a little bit of fat suit augmentation. He had his hair shaved because he's mad like that. I'd be petrified about that. I'd be going, is he definitely going to grow back? Because, you know, this is all I got. Uh, but he, he went for it and uh, he attacked the role with gusto. And I just think he, he, he sets his stall out as his smarmy, supercilious, filling this guy right from the off and even though at no point in the movie does he <laughs> you know he doesn't fire a gun he does beat some guy's head with a baseball bat but he's not he's not darth vader you know what i mean but he's uh he's someone who sets his soul out right from the beginning as a as a real as a uh, as a force to be reckoned with and he just he owns it he owns the screen when he's on uh, when he's on it i think there's an interesting part in that opening scene where he, you know, he's sort of talking to the reporters whilst he's getting shaved and, 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 and everyone's in a good mood. Everyone's happy. You know, mm. he, 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 he's holding court. Um, and he's given the pretense to these people that he is a legitimate, you know, businessman. Mm. And then the guy that's shaving him accidentally cuts him. And just in that, those next two seconds, you see everything. That, that you need to know about that character, the way that he, you know, notices that he's cut, the way that he, you know, sits back in his chair and looks at the guy shaving him, and then the look of fear on that guy's face. Yeah. yeah. And without any dialogue at all, you just know, Jesus. <laughs> this, this, and, and the, to a certain extent, the rest of the film, the, 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 the kind of Capone scenes, he almost gets a little bit less scary as the film goes on. And, and, you know, kind of Costner goes to meet him. And I, I mean, you know, to be, uh, everyone talks about the relationship between Malone and Ness, but to me, the relationship at the heart of the film is the one between Elliot Ness and Al Capone and what he has to do throughout the film to, you know, meet that, 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 that sort of level of fear and terror um, that, 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 you know, that other man has. And you see all of that in that opening scene, which is the yeah. bit when he, when, he, when he gets cut. You're right, because Capone's scenes get a little bit repetitive. The baseball bat scene is brilliant, and it's endless, decodable, enthusiasms, enthusiasms. <laughs> but it is basically just a larger version of the opening scene where the he scares the guy, puts a fear of God on the guy, which is a single look. Um, at the same time, there's something really interesting about Capone in this movie and about the way he, re he about the way he acts as if he is completely and utterly untouchable. You know, he is the true untouchable yeah. of the film in many, many ways. And it's really hard not to watch a movie like this these days through a Donald Trump prism. And oh, yeah. You know, you just look at that opening scene where he's surrounded by these sycophants who hang in his every word, and then one of them does something wrong, and suddenly he switches. In a moment, he switches, and you see the true guy beneath, and that's terrifying. And uh, I imagine, 
that whoever shaves Donald Trump and his strangely hairless face must have gone through a similar situation. Perhaps, yeah. maybe, cover myself <laughs> legally, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you're right, though. For, funnily enough, I had the same thoughts about Trump and obviously, you know, these two people with this great power and they, they both seem to obviously clearly love these decadent lifestyles and clearly, as you say, have this, you know, this anger simmering within them. And uh, like he's both mentioned, that I love that bit in, in the opening scene where, you know, his face is nicked and, and you, you it, within us, you know, a couple of seconds, you see him go through from anger to then remembering he's trying to actually do a PR job and try and present a more <laughs> friendly face. And, and then he composes himself and says, it's all right. But obviously the, the reaction of the guy caught in it is told, who cut him has told everybody in that room the reality of just how menacing this character is and how, you know, how far his anger can go off such a small thing. So, no, we really enjoyed hearing your thoughts on that. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm aware of the time, so we can't leave this without discussing that train station scene. I know we've touched on it before, but do either of you have any more thoughts to add on that at all? I think the interesting thing about about that scene is it's obviously a you know homage to the Odessa step scene mm. in a very old film called the uh, Battleship Potemkin and I and I like that and I know that I guess some people I mean I think there's a lot of people that just that just are just unaware of that but I think this comes back to I guess the point I made at the start where some people can get a bit a bit sniffy about De Palma and it's a little bit of a sort of film buff thing, and they go, "Well, he's just he's just ripped off that scene um, from that from that old movie." Mm. And it's like, well, he hasn't. He, he just, I mean, he, he <laughs> you you can't watch those two scenes, and and, and you know, yes, you can you can take away the sort of similarities, but you know, if I'd have directed the Battleship Potemkin, and then I saw the Untouchables, I'd be like, "Fair play, mate. I wish I'd done that because <laughs> it's a much <laughs> it's." And, and and I think it's a it's a I mean it is a it is an endlessly watchable. I think that's a, one of the things about watching these things on DVDs now is that you know when I get to that scene I do rewind it and I and I watch it again and how so much of it just starts without any dialogue. It's just it's just the noise of that pram going up the stairs. Yeah. Um and and the kind of baby crying and the woman is just taking forever to get her suitcases and and that baby up the stairs. And it does ratchet the tension up because you know that something is about to happen. And in the middle of this, you've got a, a very ordinary scene with a, you know, mum and, you know, and it's, you know, baby. But it's, it's, it's you know, done to perfection, I think. I, 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 don't, I don't have a bad word. To, I think it's one of the most perfect scenes ever done it's amazing i i i'm, I'm a big fan of brandon palmer uh, i think he's i think he's great i mean obviously he can he can sometimes over egg the pudding and recently he's been off the boil so just you know but uh but i think this is this is part of a uh a, a very interesting set of films for him i mean in the more personal films the carries and the blowouts of this world but this for me sits up there with scarface and carlito's way He's a great stylist. There's something about what Martin said about how people accuse De Palma of just being a 
cheap pound store Hitchcock, it ain't that easy. <laughs> the cinema is littered with people who want to rip off Hitchcock and want to rip off better directors, and they can't manage it. And De Palma always filters it through a slightly uh, very bleak, very deranged uh, prism as well, I think, makes his work stand out from Hitchcock. There's there's a, a, a greater perversity to his work, which is absent from this movie, but there's something about his set pieces, the in- intricacy of his set pieces that really gets me. There's some amazing moments in uh, Carlito's way where he replays essentially the, the staircase sequence from this from this movie. Only with an escalator. Uh, there's an amazing sequence at the end of Raising Cain. If you haven't seen Raising Cain, check it out. It's great. Uh, there's there's something about the gopher brokenness of of his approach to set pieces and his approach to the visuals of this movie, which really stands out for me. And if it were if it were, it reminds me a little bit of the criticism Tarantino gets as well for for taking previous filmmakers' works and repackaging them and bringing his own approach to them. And again, if it were that easy, everybody would be doing it, and we were inundated with so many bad Tarantino imitators. uh, I don't even want to think about it. Uh, These guys are at the top of the tree. And the reason why they're at the top of the tree is because they bring something to it apart from mimicry. Um, This is a great sequence. It's an amazing sequence. Uh, The confidence that he has to slow everything down. The sound design is great. I love the fact that the, uh, the Capone's bookkeeper looks like Michael Palin playing Walter White. I love that. (laughs) We talked about Andy Garcia's incredible sliding tackle. It's 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 just fantastic, you know. Um, yeah. And 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 he's he's willing to put a baby in peril. That's that's not overlooked. The fact this is a movie that starts with a young girl getting blown to bits. It's a really interesting film. How how he approaches the violence, the effects of the violence, and he's not afraid to put innocence in harm's way. Uh, which I think is something that nowadays a lot of filmmakers would balk at. It's a, it's a great, great sequence. Yeah. I, I, should, um, I should sort of say at this point, one of the things I, I, I haven't mentioned yet is um, I went to Chicago a few years ago, mm-hmm. and the weird thing about this film is how so much of it is, is in Chicago. Mm. And so that, you know, bridge where Elliot Ness meets Malone, the room where the guy gets hit with a baseball bat. Um, it's all it's all there. I mean, yeah. you know, Chicago is as much a character in this film as yeah. um, obviously the characters within it. And it's 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 it. Uh, you know, a lot of it isn't done in a, in a you know studio. They are they are actual places within Chicago. The the you know room where you know Costner goes to. Uh, confront Capone on the steps. It's, it's it's one of it's on one of the main streets in Chicago. And at some point, I I I, I then went uh, to that train station, and I I was there for about two hours, just just you know taking like this pictures of that staircase, and you know walking up and down, and you saw it was like a kind of Abbey Road thing, like be there for a while and like someone else would just come along and obviously they weren't catching a train. They had a camera and it's sort of this. And, and and it's, it's what's, what's, what's really good about all of that stuff is it's exactly like it is in the film because they used the real places. Yeah. And you can just go visit that stuff. It's amazing. I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, 16, 
I looked this up today, 1634 South Racine Avenue, where Connery's character lives, is a real address. Um, mm. I looked it up on, on Google View. It's it's not uh, a residential address, but it is a real place in Chicago. You, you can go and you could probably reenact Sean Connery's bloody demise if you, if you were <laughs> so inclined. You know, it's just it's got a really wonderful sense of place and time as well. And the fact it was shot in Chicago just very, very quickly. I looked it up. The um, the guy who plays the alderman who tries to bribe Elliot Ness yeah. in the scene in the film, which actually gives the uh, where he only, he comes so close to saying the title of the film. <laughs> he comes so close. He goes, what are you guys, untouchable? No, it's the <laughs> untouchables, actually. Um, he, he was He's an actor called Del Close, and I looked him up. Uh, uh, he was a really interesting guy. He's a bit of a giant of U.S. improvisational comedy, and he worked in Chicago. And uh, he was uh, obviously just a jobbing actor in terms of this movie. But if you look at his his career works uh he he was someone who made a real impact in chicago and when he died this has got nothing to do with the film but when he died he requested that his skull be donated to the theater he worked with the goodman theater uh so it could wow. be used in performances of hamlet as yorick's skull oh my uh, so <laughs> apparently that's then they a great bit of trivia yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I, this, I went down the rabbit hole uh, <laughs> on the internet, and I discovered that. So, um, yeah, apparently they, they did a bit of a, a, a bait and switch with the, the actual skull. But um, but there you go. <laughs> Del Close. Del Close is that guy's name. Oh, lo- lo- love bits of trivia like that. I love, uh, I love it that you've been there, Mark. And I think Connery himself said he was surprised at how much you know, how many locations in Chicago they used, and it really, really adds so much to the film, and, you know, just, is it, as you say, is, it, is another character in the film, really. Um, probably time for any final thoughts either you would like to, to, to make. Uh, have you got any final thoughts, Chris, on the film? Yeah, I just want to give a shout-out to Billy Drago, who's phenomenal as, uh, as um, Frank Nitti. Uh He's just, he's a, I think Martin touched upon it. If you rewatch the film, Nitty is a presence that just is studded throughout the film. He's in scenes that you don't even realize he's in. The, the, uh, the first time that Ennio Morricone's, uh, Al Capone theme kicks in, which feels like it's, it's snuck in from some sort of weird seventies ITV cop show. It's amazing. Um, and we haven't even talked about Morricone's music. My God, oh, it's good. so good in this film. Uh, how he didn't win an Oscar is beyond me. But anyway, uh, <laughs> another time, another podcast. Uh, the, the, when the uh, when that music kicks in and you're going on this long tracking shot through Al Capone's quarters, you can see Nitty walking down the stairs uh, in a in a wide shot, and he bumps into someone and starts pissing them off. And he has this. He's at the dinner table in the baseball bat scene. Uh, he's the only person who doesn't react with uh, horror. Uh, he seems to quite enjoy it, as a matter of fact. And he's just is this, this wonderful, deathly presence throughout the film. Uh, Andy Garcia read initially for that, that role, and I can't imagine him in that role. I think there's something about Billy Drago. He just feels like he's been beamed down from another weird planet, and I, I really like him. Yeah, he just has an ominous, bad presence that just oozes from him, doesn't he? I think no, nobody could probably do that that role as well well as he did. What about um, and that as well? What a great name as well, Billy Drago or Billy Drago. It's brilliant. It, it sort of suits him, doesn't it, for that role? It's just uh, obviously I know the real character's Frank Nitty, but I love his real name as well. What about yourself, Martin? Any final thoughts? Uh, I think I think it's just it's one of those films. 
that it it really does for all of its box office success and its accessibility it really does benefit from repeat viewing i think mm-hmm. and i kind of liked untouchables for you know years and i had i think about 10 years ago it, it was on and and i was watching it and as you sometimes do with films the first time you're watching the film you're you're just concentrating on the plot you're not necessarily relaxing and enjoying it and it, and, it, and it was a a point then when I, I was familiar with the plot and I, and I, and I just sat back and, and you, you just take it all in. Um, and I became a bit obsessed with it for a sort of couple of years. Where I would just sort of watch it you know, maybe every couple of months or so. Um, and it, and it's, it's that sort of film that maybe because it's, you know, set when it is, it doesn't, it doesn't actually feel dated. It doesn't feel like a, like an eighties film. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 it has a timeless quality in that respect because it's, it's, you know, set, set during the uh, depression. So it's a lot of people, you know, maybe not at the peak of their, of their, of their sort of powers, but kind of collectively that they, they, they all, I think they all put a really good shift in. It's a great film. I think that's the perfect place to end and I'd just like to thank you both for coming on. I've had great fun chatting to you both. Uh, firstly with yourself, Martin, where can people find more of your work and your thoughts? Oh dear. Um, <laughs> 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 um, so they could uh, I do a thing called the Ram JFK Club at the moment which is a weekly look at the JFK assassination some of those weird people that were in Dealey Plaza that day. And that's on Twitter or on a thing called the internet, uh, ramjfkclub.com. If you want thoughts on Liverpool, you can follow me at 400 blows and occasionally I'll tell you what I think about football. <laughs> Very Excellent. Excellent. Uh, what, what about yourself, Chris? Where can people find more of your way? Uh, if they wanted to, uh, they can find me in the pages of Empire Magazine every month, price £4.50 from all good and evil news agents. Uh, I'm on Twitter twice. Uh, I'm at Chris Hewitt uh, for my normal stuff and at Chris Hewitt LFC for pessimistic rants about the state of Liverpool Football Club uh, with the odd knob joke thrown in. Um, <laughs> lots of angry retweets about Donald Trump. And you can also find me every week hosting the Empire Podcast, which is uh, available on your uh, internet device of choice. Oh, that, that's great. Um, thanks. For Just before I go, call. Joe, there is a, there's yeah. one problem here, though. Mm-hmm. In the, Earlier in this podcast, Chris mentioned No Way Out. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> um, brilliant. And honestly, I've got to do that. <laughs> I, I, I I'm not making demands again. Thing, was I? I'm not making demands oh. again. Oh no! Oh. I'd I'd love to. I'd love to. You, well, I hope you both know that as a standing invite. If you ever want to chat about anything, right. well, weirdly enough, no way out is. I've I downloaded it tonight because I've, it oh. put me into a it put, it put me into a classic Costner mood, and so um, my wife hasn't seen it. So oh, I'm hopefully, hopefully indoctrinating her tonight. So. Oh, well, ho- hope your wife enjoys it. I'm sure she will. Um, thanks to everyone for listening. Obviously, thanks once again to the guests. Fantastic. Please check out their work. I'm sure you already do, but if you don't, please do. And um, please, if there's any feedback, I'm on Twitter at Joe Simpson 79 or at AI Movie Night. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.